rescued from that, we would want to live a life that would bring you honor and glory as empowered by you. Pray that that would come out clearly in our lesson even this morning. Pray for wisdom, for the message going on at camp here this morning. Pray that the young people would respond. Pray for the Sunday school children that are here today that they would be responding to their lessons and you'd give all of their teachers wisdom as well. Pray that everything that is said and done by this church would bring you honor and glory and that the focus would stay on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can see from the screen, the title of this morning's message is Let Go and Let God. Let Go and Let God. And I was visiting with a dear friend, a fellow believer here this week, and we were discussing some frustrating circumstances that come up in life and how that's just a normal, natural part of life. And it's in many ways, not in many ways, it's unavoidable. There is no way around it. There are difficult, challenging, and frustrating things that we have to face in life. And as you think about that, sometimes that creates a sense of despair or despondency even because the fact of the matter is that you have very little control over many things that are presently impacting your life. As you think about frustrating circumstances, oftentimes you don't have any way to change those circumstances. They're out of your control. You have very little control. And one of the main reasons for that is that Primarily, the cause of the difficulties and circumstances that you're facing are people. They're often the root cause of the trials that you're facing, and you can't control people. So if people are the ones that are bringing about or making life challenging, causing life to be difficult at times, or bringing about these kind of circumstances, then you're really in a place where you have very little control of them, so you have very little control of the circumstances. And the longer that you live the more apparent it becomes that you're not in control. That you have very little control, though, that you desperately want it in your flesh. You want to be in control. Yet the reality is God is trying to teach us time and time again through the trials and circumstances and difficulties in our lives that he's the one in control. And that we don't have that control. And we can give things over to the one, though, who is in control. And we can recognize that just because he's in control doesn't mean he's going to intervene and take away whatever the circumstances are that we're facing or the people that are causing them. Sometimes you may even wish that. that he would just take away those people. But often he doesn't do that. He just says, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. I'm going to, through my sovereign power, I'm not going to utilize that power to, quote, fix your circumstance or take away the circumstance, but I'm going to fix you if you'll let me. I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to give you a new perspective and a new way of dealing with and trusting me in the face of this thing that is challenging, this thing that is troubling, this thing that is frustrating. I'm going to reorient your thinking so that you'll be in a place where you'll be growing closer to me. You're being, you'll be changed more into the image of my son over time. I'll make you more like me and less like you. And I'll use these trials and circumstances and difficulties in your life. But as you think about your choices when you're faced with these frustrating circumstances or these trials you can't control, the choices are ultimately quite simple and there's really only two of them. You can try to tackle the trial on your own while unavoidably feeling worry and undue concern. That's what comes with trying to tackle things on our own. Frustration, worry, sometimes fear, sometimes a sense of anxiety, sometimes a sense of this undue concern that you have about that. Or your second option is you can give it to your infinite heavenly Father and rest peacefully in His capable hands. Now let's go through those two options again. You can tackle the trial on your own 
and then naturally feel worry, undue concern, frustration, anger, bitterness, resentment, all the things that would come from trying to deal with that on your own when you actually have very little control to begin with. Or, option two, you can give it to your infinite heavenly Father who loves you desperately. He has provided everything for you. He's undertaken in every aspect of your life, which allows you the capability of resting peacefully in his capable hands regardless of what it is that you're going through. Now, I'll tell you what, that second option sounds a lot better, doesn't it? And for a man and woman of faith, that should be the only option that we're interested in. See, that second option is summarized succinctly with the phrase that's our title, let go and let God. Let go and let God. That's option two. Let go, give it over to him. Trust him with it, depend on him. Faith rests in him to deal with it. Let go and let God. And that believer friend of mine, as we were talking about these kind of challenging circumstances in life, we found great encouragement and we fellowshiped about just even that phrase, let go and let God. And that is something that can build up our hearts because it reminds us that where when we re- have reached, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, the Father's full giving has only begun. And often we reach the end of our hoarded resources, don't we? Who's reached the end of their hoarded resources today, this morning, sitting there this morning and saying, I'm at the end of my rope. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. I mean, you can. See, the default is to try to deal with things through our own strength. Because that's the default, too frequently we reach the end of our rope. We would never do that if to begin with we'd been giving things over, letting go and letting God from the very onset of it. It takes coming to a place of complete exhaustion, just being wiped out by it before oftentimes then we'll be reminded, I shouldn't have been trying to carry this weight at all. I should have been giving this over to the Lord. I'll tell you that, frankly, in my own life, that's the number one thing that wears me out is me trying to, in my flesh, carry things that God never asked me to carry. Your pastor is not immune from that. That's the number one thing that makes me anxious. That's the number one thing that causes me worry, that wears me down, that makes me cry. Those are the things, and oftentimes when I really work my way through it and I think my way through it, it's because I'm carrying something, I'm, I'm bearing a responsibility that God never asked me to carry. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, casting all of our cares upon him because he cares for you. He didn't ask us to carry many of those things that we're carrying. He said, you need to trust me with them and allow me to work in your life through those circumstances and through those trials. And frankly, we could end the message right there, friends. That's the thing we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. But we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, because as you think about these two competing and contrasting responses, they, they represent the heart of the spiritual battle for your mind and your thinking. See, we're in a battle. The battle is for your mind, though, friends. The battle is for my thinking. And those two options, those two responses, that's at the very core of that battle for my thinking, because one response represents a response of independence, And the other represents a a response of dependence on God to do for me what I can't do for myself. But you see, the whole message of the Bible is you can't do this without me. 
You're hopeless and you're helpless apart from me. You're going to need me to undertake in your life to deal with the circumstances that you cannot handle, starting with the penalty that's owed for your sinfulness, the separation that was caused by your choice to rebel against me and to reject me and to choose sin over me. And the barrier of sin that was brought about and the separation that was brought about because of that choice, you can't deal with that. And you're forever going to be estranged from me and separated from me unless you can learn to see that you have a real problem that you cannot handle and I'm a God who loved you so much that I made a way for you to be with me to deal with that problem even though you had no way to deal with it on your own. Now once you realize that, we call that justification where you come to a place where you see God has to deal with. He has to make me right with him in the sense of the penalty that I owed because of my association with sinfulness. But now, just the same way that I got saved from the consequence or the penalty of my sin, I have to see that I need to get saved or be saved from the power of sin to rule and reign in my life, to have victory in my Christian life. I get saved by depending on God to give me victory where I would be hopeless and helpless apart from him. Just like Jesus said, without me, you can can do nothing unless you stay connected to me you're hopeless not in terms of your position anymore because positionally you're now in Christ you're adopted into God's family you're sealed by the Holy Spirit the moment that you put your trust in what Jesus did to deal with your sinfulness as he died was buried and rose again for you that moment your whole citizenship changes you're no longer a citizen of, ha- of, he- of earth you're no longer associated with your birth in Adam you're now a citizen of heaven you're now in Christ associated with who you are in him as his righteousness was credited to your account And now God can see you in a right standing with him on the basis of Christ's righteousness now being wrapped around you as we talk about imputed righteousness. But now as I'm his child, the the key and the whole focus of these verses today is as his child, am I going to be worried about things? Am I going to be anxious about things? Or am I going to be trusting God and depending on God to undertake in every facet of my life so that I can enjoy God's peace that surpasses and can blow my mind. It surpasses my understanding. It's much bigger and much better than I could ever even imagine. Am I going to take God at his word and trust him in these moments, these individual moments that collectively make up the substance of my life? Am I going to learn to depend and trust God with those moments, with those trials, with those circumstances, with those people, with those hardships that I'm facing in my life? Am I going to learn that? Would I be willing to do that? And so as you think about the battle, that's the battle. It's independence or it's a dependence on God to undertake. And as you think about this passage in Philippians chapter 4, it gives us sort of both alternatives, what, what the two alternatives would be. And it does it in a nice, eloquent way. So if you haven't turned there, this isn't directly a prayer of Paul, but it's on most of the lists of Paul's prayers because it talks about giving things over to God. And to give things over to God involves what? It involves talking to God. What do we call talking to God? We call it prayer. So one of the key components of prayer, one of the things that should drive us to prayer is that we're not going to be independent. We're going to be depending on God, which means when we face things that are bigger than us, we're going to bring them to God as we're talking to him anyway about everything else that's going on in our life because we're praying our way through the day and we're living life in close communion with God. That's what intimacy looks like and sounds like. 
That's what it involves. And as we're doing that, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to bring these concerns, we're going to bring these worries to God as we're talking to him anyway. And so it's Paul's advice, which ultimately is inspired by the Spirit of God speaking through Paul, as every word of the Bible is ultimately God's word, not Paul's word. But it's God's advice to us then about how to deal with these circumstances and these trials that we all face. Now, remember by way of context, in Philippians 4, what was Paul's life circumstances? Someone said it. He was in prison while he wrote this. So he really wasn't talking about life circumstances. He was talking about a mindset, a mentality that we can have. And there's two options. We've been talking about them. Those are the options that are going to be available as we face the difficulties of life. So Philippians 4, I'm guessing most of you are there already. I'll get there and we'll read through this, these few verses here. We're going to pick up in verse 6. Most of you are familiar with this. I wanted to touch on again, I frankly taught on some of this stuff not that long ago when we went through the book of Philippians, but it's probably getting on a, over a year ago. But this, again, is, is one of the, as you think about Paul and what he has to say about prayer, what his mentality was about the value of prayer, it'd be hard to skip these verses, and so we're going to cover them here this morning. But be anxious for nothing. But in everything, this is the alternative, by prayer and supplication, with a heart of gratitude, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Talk to God about it. And what will the result of that be? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. What's the power source behind it? What's the vehicle for all of this? Through Christ Jesus. Then verse eight, finally, my brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And you'll see how I tie that in. We're not going to go into that in great detail. But as we break down and look at, especially verses 6 and 7 here this morning, we'll start with verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now you start with this phrase, be anxious. Be anxious. What are we talking about here when we're talking about anxiety or being anxious? It's to be unduly concerned with or to be worried about things. Now we'll touch on it in a second, but don't lose track of that word unduly concerned. To be unduly concerned with or you could say unduly worried about something. And I wanted to comment on a couple of things about anxiety or being anxious is anxiety is brought on in different ways. There's probably a lot of more than I could even think of, but there's two main ones as far as I see it. And you may or may not agree. But there's anxiety, and remember we're talking about worry or undue concern, too much concern. And one of those categories would be what we'll call situational circumstantial, environmental response that, that you're having to triggers. They're triggered by oftentimes this what-if mentality. As, as you're faced with circumstances and you're faced with the environment that you're living in, you're faced with situations that you're dealing with, you have a response of anxiety or undue worry, undue, undue concern. And as I think about that what-if mentality, Oftentimes, you're effectively taking that trial, that circumstance, that, that thing that you see, and you're foreshadowing 
with what if this happens. You're actually, the things that you're thinking about and the things that you're worried about, they're potentiality. They're, they're not actuality, they're potentiality, meaning this could potentially happen. So what if, what if, what if, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? And as you think about that, you're, you're basically focused on these potential outcomes that haven't even occurred yet that you perceive to be negative. Now, the other category I'm just calling organic or psychological responses that bring about anxiety where there is no obvious trigger. And as you think about anxiety, anxiety itself is a natural response or feeling, and it's not itself sinful. I want to be very clear about that. Many people have taken this passage and their takeaway is that to have any anxiety or to feel anxiety is sin. No, the idea of negative emotions, anxiety, which worry, anxiety just being undue worry, undue concern. Worry and concern, these are emotions, these are feelings that God made possible for us to experience. And as we experience those, you could put them in the same category as anger, as fear, some of these other potentially negative emotions. But the emotion itself is not sinful. It's how are you going to respond to that emotion? Are you going to allow that emotional response that's being brought on in your life, are you going to allow that to control and dominate your thinking? That's where it becomes a problem. Where something that God says he wants to give you victory with is dominating and controlling you. And instead of seeking some relief from that, instead of dealing with it, instead of bringing it to him, you're allowing it to control your life. You're allowing it to dominate your thinking. Now, God, he actually utilizes medical professionals to help us with some of these things. And so if you're not going to trust him enough to undertake in your life and to direct you to knowing that he wants to give you relief from those problems, from those concerns, if you're not going to trust him and take step out by faith and allow him to undertake, if you're not going to pray about it, knowing that he does want to give us victory in these areas then that's the problem. You could call that sin at a, at a point because you're trusting in yourself. You're not being willing to trust in God to lead you or direct you in a way that he can bring about some relief in your life. Now, how he may direct you may be very different from somebody else because that's the other thing I want you to note is that some people are more susceptible than others to worry, to undue concern, to undue anxiety. And you, you know people in your life probably that are a lot less prone to having concern and worry. Their problem is they're too flippant about everything. They don't ever consider things or take things seriously. Now, they can do that as unto the Lord. In, I, you can do that in a positive way, I would say. But there's other people who do it in a very negative way where they have no concern about anything. And there is a place for godly concern it becomes a problem. It becomes something God wants to help us with in our lives when it's undue concern. It's gone too far. It falls into a category of now of anxiety and worry that is affecting our ability to trust God where we're being, again, dominated by that instead of God using it to give us a concern for people or a concern for circumstances that he wants to work in our lives to bring about some change in our lives, to make us aware of it and to give us this interest in making a change in that particular area. The other thing is that 
Situational anxiety and worry is primarily an issue of mental occupation. So when we talk about that category of situational, circumstantial, environmental, things that are being triggered by things that are happening or people that are in our lives, anxiety, worry, concern that's being triggered, triggered by that, it's, pr- it's primarily an issue of mental occupation. It's, dri- it's driven by the negative things you are thinking about, the negative things you are meditating about, the negative things you are fixating on. And I would say that that's true of any undue worry, any undue concern, no matter what the source is of it. You're thinking too much. You're occupied by, you're driven by this obsession with the negative things, the, the worst case scenario kind of mentality. And as you think about meditate and fixate on those negative things, it affects you. It's goofy to think it wouldn't because you are what you're thinking. You spill what you're filled with. And so when you're allowing your mind to be dominated by those things instead of what we'll see in verse 8 as the alternative things that you could be fixating on, meditating on, thinking about, as you think about all of the wrong things and all of the brokenness of the world, all the brokenness in yourself, all of the hard things, the challenges, the trials, the suffering, the difficulties, it's going to put you in a place where you have anxiety, you have worry, you have undue concern. So we see the rest of our phrase here, be anxious. That's my comments on anxiety. But be anxious for nothing. So the full phrase here, be anxious for nothing, that's an imperative. God is saying this is critical to your spiritual well-being that you wouldn't go around being dominated by, having your mind under the control of undue worry, undue concern, or again, the general term for both of those things, being unduly anxious. This isn't going to be spiritually beneficial for you. It's going to be difficult for me to bring about the changes I want to bring in your life if you don't give that over to me, if you won't let go of that, if you won't allow me to work in your life with that and give you victory over that. Now, we happen to be talking about undue amounts of anxiety, concern, worry this morning. We could be talking about any negative emotion though, couldn't we? Some of you are like, not a problem for me. I'll just tune out the rest of what he has to say this morning. I don't have a care in this world. But if that's true of you, is that true of every negative emotion in your life? How are you doing with bitterness? How are you doing with anger? How are you doing with frustration? How are you doing with guilt? How are you doing with regret? How are you doing with shame? How are you doing with remorse? And we could go on. You see, nobody's in a place to say they couldn't benefit from the general principle here, which is that we need to get our focus off of those things and give them over to the Lord so we can experience His peace in our life as we meditate on other things other than these negative emotions and negative feelings that can dominate and dictate our lives in a way that make us unproductive in terms of serving the Lord and unhealthy in terms of our spiritual well-being. So that's why when we think of an imperative, God's saying it's imperative that you understand this principle. So nothing means what? It means never. Be anxious for nothing. Never be unduly concerned, worried, or anxious. It's language that allows no exceptions. And as you think about that part of our definition that we'll come back to now, unduly, 
Being unduly worried about things is the problem. Not having an appropriate amount of care and concern for the right things. Make a note of that. You should have concern and care about the right things, but you should have a, a concern and care that is still trusting God. It's an appropriate, appropriate amount of concern and care about the appropriate things, the right things. Now, if you don't believe me about that, turn to Philippians chapter 2, and I want to show you an example where this exact same word is used in a more positive sense. Philippians 2 verse 20. Paul is talking about Timothy in a very favorable light. He's saying, I'm going to send Timothy to minister to your needs. I'm going to send Timothy to minister to your needs. I wish that I could send somebody else. I wish I had more people that I could call to action, so to speak, to send out to minister to the needs that I become aware of as an apostle in the early church. That's what he's saying. He says, but I have no one else is what you could put else in there. I have no one else like-minded, that's why I have to send Timothy, who will sincerely care for your state. Now, sincerely care is the word, exact same Greek word for anxious. He's saying he wishes he had more people that had a sincere care and concern for fellow believers, that they would be willing to minister to them. And so the point again not trying to make a lot of this, but it's undue concern. It's undue worry. It's undue anxiety focused on the wrong things. But appropriate amount of godly concern for the right things, still trusting God and depending on God and letting God lead, that's perfectly good to have that in your life. Some of us need a little bit more of that, frankly. Some of us, as you're being honest with yourselves at times, and I could say this is true of me at times, when you're being honest, you don't care enough for the people that God says he cares desperately for. And he says, if he cares desperately for these people and he's now living inside of you and wanting to direct in your life, you should care desperately for these people too. Yeah, but they're kind of annoying. Or they're kind of difficult. Or we don't have very much in common. Or what have you. You fill in the blank. I don't want to go too far for this or we'll get everyone offended this morning. So when you think about being anxious for nothing, another comment I wanted to make is, though natural, it comes naturally. This is the flesh acting out. This is, this is something that is a part of the curse of sin as the influence of sin has had on breaking down and permeating and even affecting the, our thinking, affecting our minds, affecting our mental health, affecting, our, affecting every aspect of our bodies from the tip of our toe all the way to the tip of our head. You know, you can think of a million examples of how the curse of sin has broken things down. So this is just something that we have to deal with as a natural part of being sinners, living in a sin-cursed world and sin-cursed bodies under the curse of sin, under the influence of the evil one who is seeking to dominate and direct and influence our thinking. So it's natural, but it's useless. It's natural to have undue worry and concern, but it's useless. It takes up so much energy. It takes up so much of your focus. It takes up so much of your time, and in exchange, you get nothing. It's useless to allow undue worry and concern to dominate and control your life, just like it's useless to allow undue anger 
undue remorse, undue, undue shame and guilt and regret to dominate your thinking. Again, remember, fill in the blank with the right thing that's appropriate to you this morning if this isn't touching a nerve. Pick something that will. It's useless to allow that to dominate your life. You're, you're giving away energy and focus and time, and in exchange, you're getting nothing. You're getting no peace. You're getting no action, usually. Your worry doesn't change the circumstances. You're getting no resolution. You're getting no solutions. You're getting no progress. You're getting no protection. You're getting no absolution. You're getting no solace, no pleasure, no joy. You're getting nothing. You're giving up the essence of your life, the energy, focus, and time that is very dear and it's very limited that God has given you on all of these negative emotions. Remember, fill in the blank, and you're getting nothing positive in return. Now let's come back to this one example of undue concern and worry in our lives. Most concerns, and I don't know how they study this or what have you, I'm not even saying this number is true, probably half of the numbers you come across are made up. But according to the research I could find, most concerns, and by most we're talking about, they say 85 to 90% of the things that you worry about never come to fruition. That's the danger of the what-if life. What if this worst-case scenario happens? It's not likely to happen. But what if it does? But it's not likely to happen. But what if it does? (laughs) Now, of the 15 to 10 to 15% that's left, they're not usually as bad as you've made them out to be anyway. Have you ever noticed that? That thing that you thought was going to be just so desperately awful, it really wasn't as bad as you thought. When it was as bad or worse than you thought, it doesn't last forever generally. I say generally. Some things we'll deal with for the rest of our lives. But the initial sting of it doesn't necessarily last forever either. I had some disappointing news. I went to the doctor to see an elbow surgeon this week. And, you know, when I'm thinking, when I'm just being a human being, which just I am, just so you know that. <laughs> I, was, I was almost tearful, actually, about it because I was so disappointed. Uh, so most of you know I fractured my radial head and my right elbow in a mountain bike crash almost a year ago. And so this arm I can straighten, and this arm I can't. And I had an MRI, and another orthopedic doctor told me there's a procedure that can fix this elbow. And the best elbow surgeon that we know of in Duluth told me it can't be fixed. And it hurts to hold my arm out like this, and it's not something that I'm looking forward necessarily in my flesh to living with. But as you think about these things, you think about that conversation, one of the things that the doctor, as I mentioned, I was a pastor too, and one of the things that we talked about in that appointment was he said, things have a way of getting better with time. You learn to adjust to things that you can no longer do. It's just a part of life. And one of the things he mentioned, which reminded me of a very useful illustration, is the idea of scars, you might have some scars. I had a really big scar here on this, on my right hand. And if I hold it up from the distance you're at, you probably can't see it. I mean, thankfully, I'm pretty hairy and it kind of covers that up. But there's a scar here, a pretty good-sized scar. You can hardly see it anymore. Even if I were to take all the hair out of the way, you wouldn't be able to see it. And what happens with scars is for 
probably 25, 30 years, it was very obvious. And over time, it just kept softening and softening. The tissues kept straightening out. The fibers in my skin kept straightening out. And pretty soon, it wasn't as different from the rest of the skin anymore. And you know, that's the nature of life, is that things that seemed really bad and actually really were bad at the time, over time, you get used to it. And you adjust to it. And God has a way of softening those things and making them less painful than they used to be. And pretty soon, in time, they're not even really noticeable anymore. Now, is that always true? And the answer is no. There's some things, physical things, that that's just how it's going to be. And you're going to have to trust God with those too. But I'm just talking about that 10 to 15% of things that do actually come to fruition that you were thinking about. A lot of them aren't as bad as you thought they would be. And a lot of the ones that are really bad do soften with time. Now, what did Jesus have to say about this? We've got to keep moving. I'm not going fast enough here this morning. Some of you are saying, this morning. <laughs> Matthew 6.27, we're going to jump. We should read this whole passage. We just don't have time, so I'm just going to hit these two. But this is when you're talking about, <clears throat> although it's normal and it's natural to have undue worry in our lives, it's useless. This is Jesus' way of saying that. It's not helpful, it's not useful. He says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And he's just being funny, right? He's making a point. He goes on to say, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. He, he, in the middle there he says, if God can clothe the lilies and if God can take care of the food and raiment that is necessary for even animals, isn't he gonna take care of you? He then says, O ye of little faith. But then at the end he says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And many of you have heard that before, but it's a nice reminder, isn't it? Now we come back to our verse, Be anxious for nothing but. Now it sets up this contrast or an alternative. Instead of being anxious or worried, let your requests be made known to God. Now this is an imperative too. So be anxious for nothing, imperative, critical to your spiritual well-being. That won't get you anywhere if you don't replace that mindset with this mindset. That's the idea of a double imperative here. Don't be anxious for anything, but let your requests be made known to God. That's the solution to it. That's the alternative. And we think about requests, they were just talking about asking God for something. Usually, well, it could be anyone for something, but usually somebody who has the ability
bear for us so that he could make us right with God. Now we have peace with God. And how was it done? Through Jesus Christ. It was made available through Jesus Christ. Now how is this peace that God provides described though as we come back to verse 7? It's described as peace which surpasses all understanding. And the idea is it's beyond, it's beyond man's ability to comprehend. It's that amazing. God's peace is so great, it's so wonderful, this harmony and tranquility that God provides is so great when we'll just trust God, give things over to God, let go and let God. When that's true, we can have this peace that is beyond our comprehension. It's mind-blowing peace. Man, if you've ever experienced the peace and tranquility that God can provide, the one who's resting in Him, the one who's trusting in Him, why would you ever want to let go of that? I've experienced that. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good in my life. I've seen his peace. But the knuckleheads that we are will trade that in for undue worry, undue concern, then back to all those other negative emotions, guilt, shame, fear, regret, anger. We'll trade, we'll trade this the peace that surpasses all understanding, we'll trade that for all those other things? Man, you gotta be goofy to do that. But we do it. What does God want us to do when we do that? Feel stupid? Well, maybe. No, but he wants us to see how foolish that was. He wants to, to realign our thinking with his. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is all about. It's about saying the same thing as God. Acknowledging that our thinking, our viewpoint, our way, of, our way of interacting, our actions and our thinking and our, our words, our thoughts and our deeds, they haven't been compatible with what God wants to produce in our lives. Because until you acknowledge that or understand that that's where you're at, how can it, your focus be reoriented back on Him? So that's why it says if we confess, the word means acknowledge. If we acknowledge our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us in the context of fellowship with God, to restore to fellowship this intimacy that we can have with God. Now we move on and we see this. It will guard your hearts and minds. Not only is it surpassing all understanding, it's going to guard your hearts and minds. Now this word will, it's a definite term. It's not might. This will happen. And guard means it implies keeping watch over something. Now, who's going to do that? You are going to do that? You're going to keep watch over your own life to make sure that you're at peace? No. God's going to provide that peace because you're trusting Him. You're letting your requests be made known to Him, which is synonymous with you're giving things to Him. You're casting your cares on Him. You're letting go and letting God. And because you do that, you're going to experience God's peace that's going to guard your hearts and minds in a way that surpasses your understanding, as God does this in your life, you don't do this to yourself. Now, as you think about your hearts and minds, it's just referring, the heart refers to your center of human emotion, volition, and conscience. It primarily focused on emotions here. He's going to guard your feelings. He's going to guard your emotions. Minds refers to your thinking and your thoughts specifically. God's going to guard those. Keep watch over them. And one of the things I wanted to note is that freedom from anxiety, as God's guarding and he's providing his peace, it does not mean freedom from the circumstances that cause anxiety. It doesn't mean that. 
He means that you'll experience God's tranquility and harmony and the peace that He can provide that blows your mind and guards your hearts and minds. You can experience that in the face of what you're going through. He doesn't say that He's going to take away the source, the thing that's been aggravating, the things that's been making you worried or concerned. He doesn't say He's going to take away your sin nature. You're going to have to deal with that. That's something that until we reach glory, we're going to have to deal with the temptation from within the influence from without as we think about the bombardment of the world and Satan on our thinking, that battle for our mind. He didn't say he's going to fix that or permanently resolve that. The other thing I want to note is that we talked about how Paul was writing this from prison. That certainly was true in the Apostle Paul's life. A third thing that I wanted to comment on is just that if organic anxiety is something that you struggle with, God doesn't promise that proper faith will eliminate all battles with anxiety in your life. He doesn't promise that. And I use the term proper faith and I put that in quotes because some people have that idea. I think it's misguided because if that were true, then proper faith could take away all kinds of things that are a part of the curse of sin that we have to deal with in our lives. God says faith doesn't take away those problems necessarily, but faith gives us the grace. It gives us what we're standing in need of to deal with those trials and those hardships, not have them dominate us, not have them control us, not have those be the things that are captivating our minds, taking ransom our minds, holding our minds hostage. My grace is sufficient for you. God can give you his peace even in the face of ongoing battles and difficulties that you have as a part of this sin-cursed body and the sin-cursed world and the sin-cursed minds and influenced minds that we have. But God, God promises that peace in the midst of those struggles and you need to grab a hold of that. That's the lifeline that you need. See, anxiety, undue concern, undue worry, it does not need to control or consume you. God says he can give you victory in that way. Now, what, what is the vehicle for all of this, for all of the, the provision that the Christian has? It's through Christ Jesus. The provision is always through our identification with Jesus Christ. It's because we're God's child, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're sealed with God's spirit. Everything that we have, though, as Christians comes, these tools and these resources come as a byproduct of our identification with Jesus Christ. It's only available through him. And it requires that you first be in him in order to receive the benefits that are associated with being God's child under his complete care and provision. You have to be his child. It's because the Lord is my shepherd. He has to be your shepherd first. And then it says, I lack nothing because of that. So do you understand that? The spirit then, God's spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ himself produces this in you in place of this concern and worry and anxiety that was dominating your thinking. Now, you can see, we're not going to touch on it, but you can see that in Galatians 5.22. Peace is a fruit that is produced by the Spirit of God. You don't produce fruit. You don't produce peace in your life just like you don't produce any of these fruits in your life. They're produced by the Spirit of God working in your life, life as you're staying connected to Jesus Christ. That's why it says through Jesus Christ. If you abide in me, then you will bear much fruit. What kind of fruit? This kind of fruit the fruit that God's Spirit produces. Now we move on to a practical 
application here in the sense of how is this, what is a key component, what contributes to experiencing this outcome where we're trading in because we're letting our requests be made known to God. Instead of being anxious for anything, we're letting our requests be made known to God. But part of that, as we're experiencing the peace of God, as it's guarding our hearts and minds, what is one practical way that God is doing that? Well, let's finish here quickly with verse 8. It says, Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is anything virtuous, basically, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. So if one of the things that is bringing about some of the undue concern and worry and what-ifs in your life is that you're meditating, you're fixating on, you're being consumed by these negative emotions, what else could you have been focused on to begin with that might have bypassed that whole cycle? You could have been meditating on these things. That's what God wants you to be meditating on. You think, why am I struggling so much? with these unhealthy thoughts, these unhealthy feelings. Because you've given a vacuum, you've allowed there to be space available on the hard drive, so to speak. And the world is happy, the flesh is happy to write onto that space, fill it up with garbage that's absolutely useless to you. But what could you fill it up with instead? Meditate on these things, friends. That's maybe the most practical application of all of this as we go through this passage. So let go and let God. You either meditate and fixate on trials and problems or you meditate and fixate on good and lovely things. That's your choice. Ultimately, you have to trust God enough to depend on Him and give things over to Him instead of the alternative, which is to act independently to keep trying to carry these things yourself, to try to fix these things yourself, to try to control things that you have very little control of. You see, God's peace is available, but you have to be intentional about your thinking, what you're filling your mind with, what the focus of your occupation is. Are you looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith? Are you trusting him? The choice is really ultimately simple. You either live with undue concern, worry, and anxiety, or you live in the peace of God with the peace of God. But you can only experience one at a time. So you have to choose. And I hope the choice is obvious. Because as you talk about Paul bringing prayers, talking to God, letting your requests be made known unto God. As, as you talk about this idea of in everything with prayer and supplication, talking to God, asking God for help, Paul knows that that's the solution to all of your problems, is to get your focus back on the right thing. Be trusting and depending on the right source of relief instead of looking elsewhere for it. Starting first and foremost by trusting God and having faith. Not being in a place where where God is saying to you effectively, oh ye of little faith, why won't you just trust me? Instead of him saying that to you, why not trust him, take him at his word, find him to be reliable. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here this morning. And as most of you no, it's something that we do here at our church on the first Sunday of the month. So if you're a guest here, it's something that we do the first Sunday of the month. Now, you could do this as often as you wanted. As often as you do this, though, the Bible says to do this in remembrance of me. And so that's something that needs to be on our minds is that we're not doing this for no reason. It's a symbolic thing, yes, but it's doing this so we can be intentional about remembering Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. How he 
had his body broken on our behalf, how he shed his blood for you and I. Now, this is a remembrance, though, of what Christ already did for us. So, it's a way for Christians to celebrate that with this illustrative, symbolic kind of a event. Very good thing to do. You could do it every time you eat, every time you, be, you break bread, every time you drink from a cup. You could think about Christ's blood that was shed for you. It was a little more common in their day to be reminded of Christ's blood that was shed because they drank wine in their society. And so it had the similar color to it. And so as they were, they were just taught, as you break bread and eat and drink the cup, do it in remembrance of me or remember me. Don't forget about me. And I'll tell you this, friends. If you've never put your trust in what Christ did for you on Calvary, you've got nothing to celebrate or remember this morning. And as offensive as it may be to you to hear this, your future is not bright. You're going to live out the rest of your days here on earth, eat, drinking, and being merry, making the most of it, but then you're going to die. And your time here is going to be fleeting, and it's going to be shorter than you wish it would be. And it's not going to last forever. And then you're going to have to face eternity. And there's only two options for where you'll spend eternity. You'll either accept what Christ has done for you, put your confidence and trust, put all of your eggs in that basket, and trust him completely to rescue you from your problem with sin that I talked about earlier today. And then you're going to spend all of eternity with him because he said you're going to have been born again into his family and that he'll never let you go. So you can know confidently. You can say, these things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You could know that. You could leave here today saying, I'd never heard about Jesus before. I never heard about the sufficiency of his death, burial, and resurrection on my behalf. I never heard that he accomplished everything when he cried out, it is finished, that there was nothing left for me to do except the free gift that he offered to me through his sacrifice in my place. I didn't know that. Well, now you do. And you just believe that. To believe something is just to be convinced that it's true. You've been convinced of all kinds of things in your life. This isn't something new. Just accept that this is true. Just like you accepted that that chair would hold you up when you sat down here today. You looked at it, probably didn't even think about it, but part of your subconscious made an evaluation. And the evaluation was, chair looks like it can hold my weight. So far, you've all been right. That's faith. Faith. 